Welcome to the Alliance Live podcast, spotlighting emerging issues, examples of good practice and innovation taking place within health and social care in Scotland. So welcome to our podcast. We're going to be chatting about individuals' experience of working with the GP practice shielding list. We've got two of our CLPs today, Lorna Robertson and Gary Nelson, um, who are both, ba- both based within GP practices in Glasgow. Um, and they're going to share their experiences um, from the start of lockdown. Hi both. Yeah. Yeah. Since March 2020, Scotland's been in lockdown a couple of times and this has had a massive impact on those that were asked to shield. Um, Lorna, do you want to start with telling us your experience about that first lockdown and your practice response? Yeah, sure. Um, so during the initial lockdown, GP practices were asked to play a key role in supporting patients who were shielding during the pandemic. I guess in theory this was easy, but in reality it was actually a huge ask alongside everything else that the practices were having to deal with and everything else that they had to adjust to. So this is kind of where myself and the other community link practitioners were able to step in to help the practices and make sure that anyone that was on the shielding list and anyone that was struggling was able to get the support that they needed so I think during the initial lockdown I was given about 185 patients I think who were on the shielding list so Margaret who's my practice manager had asked if I could contact everybody on the shielding list just to check in with them make sure that they were able to access like food medication and just check in on how their welfare was as well and how they were doing I guess this kind of came with some of its own difficulties. Obviously not everybody answered the phone the first time that I phoned. So even kind of keeping track of everybody that I'd spoken to, who I needed to call back, who needed like additional support put in place, that kind of thing. So it was was pretty time consuming, I guess, as well. And a lot of the people that I was supporting at times hadn't really, like they hadn't spoken to anybody else for days or even weeks by that stage. So normally they might normally be seeing friends and family or even speaking to people down at the shops and all of a sudden they were told they couldn't leave their house and didn't have anyone to talk to. So I think for some of these people, even though they didn't necessarily need any kind of formal or practical support put in place, once you were kind of on the phone with them, it could be quite difficult to get them off. And I was probably quite aware that at times they hadn't spoken to anybody else. So you didn't, you wanted to allow them that chance to talk and to be able to speak, you know, if they had to. As well as that, I had my existing caseload um, who also required support. And I also had to ensure that I was having regular communication with the practice um, in terms of patient updates. And then also kind of keeping the cluster updated on different resources as well, which were constantly changing at that time. So definitely had to be pretty strict and disciplined in terms of um, kind of time management and making sure that specific time was set for for certain tasks. What about yourself, Gary, with your um, initial experiences of the first lockdown? Well, I was initially kept busy just with people that I was in, I was already working with. Um, also, on top of that, maybe people that I'd previously worked with had contacted me. Um, just for support, whether it be food parcels or, you know, they were struggling, some people were struggling to maybe even understand the information they were given, so I'd maybe talk them through that. Um, then it was agreed a few, I, I don't recall the, how long it was, but it was agreed that, you know, that I would get a shielding list 
um, that the GPs or nurses had already spoken to quite a quite a number of them anyway. So it was more like a secondary call just to see if they needed any additional support, the non-medical side of stuff. So I was given a list of about, I think it was about 100 or something, and I just I just contacted them uh, as many as I could. And just to see what additional support um, they may have needed. So for a lot of people, I think like Norma was saying, they hadn't spoken to anybody in days, weeks. So I think just even having that wee chat, that well-being check-in, I guess, was, was so important for them. What what was some of the supports um, that you were that you were having to access or that, that people were requiring? I think a lot, a lot of food parcels um, for people that were stuck in the house that maybe didn't have family support. Even people that did have family support, they may have been in other parts of the the city and were unable to get you know to, to give them that support. And so there were a lot of food parcels. There were also some people in our practice as well that. Um, they may have been shielding, but they were shielding um, maybe at their partner's house or a family member's house. So they were somewhere else. So they weren't able to pick up their prescriptions. So there was a few good local community resources that, that were offering that support to, to be able to pick up their medicines and, and, and take it along to them. Um, so I guess that was the, the kind of the, the biggest majority. But what I found, there was quite a lot of people that were just loneliness and isolation was the biggest issue. You know, or people with pre-existing mental health conditions, you know, that was getting exacerbated and um, maybe struggling a lot to do with the fact that they were not seeing family, friends or regular support that they used to have. It was touched on there as well, just about the services that you were linking in with, them changing the, you know, what supports they were offering. How were you both able to keep abreast of of these changes that some of these services were, were undertaking? I'd say probably for me that was kind of one of the big positives that I would say came out of the first lockdown and kind of further like the other ones that followed off the back of that was kind of communication uh, locally across services. Um, So I think like certainly in Drumchapel and I think it's probably the same across the practices and the communities that we work in. I think like there's always been good communication but I think that's become even better during lockdown I think the local community really pulled, like, pulled together um, and there were so many like local volunteers as well, maybe people ordinarily that would be working that had been furloughed who were willing to help and wanted to help really in any way that they could. So that definitely made a massive difference when we were trying to access support and kind of help and input for people. Over in Drum Chapel as well, Cope were really good at pulling together kind of local resources um, with who could help out with what. And that's actually, that's something now that's become a citywide resource. Um, so it collates all the kind of helpful information about where individuals and services can go for support. I guess, I think everyone just wanted to help really in any way that they could. And I think as well, I suppose it's, that's probably where the in-depth knowledge that we have in the communities that we're working in was really helpful because we already had those links and relationships, um, which made things quite a bit easier as well when we were trying to get that support for people. Yeah, I think just to follow on from what Lorna said, I think as a community links practitioner, you you know what's happening in the community. You've got those links. So you, there was people you could contact to find out what was happening. Uh, there was also the Glasgow Helps website that was available with a lot of different resources in other areas that were still operating in um, you know, different areas from where they, the, the locality was. Uh, but also just it was, a, it was really positive to see like 
community groups coming together um, and kind of working together. Do you know, like in Springburn, for instance, was the Springburn Parish Church. So a lot of local people got together there and uh, were doing a lot of well-being checks, food deliveries, picking up prescriptions for people, and they're still really operating in that sort of capacity at the moment. Um, they, they were so valuable. Um, and, and, and just when you were saying like people were volunteering, uh, we had one of the, somebody I was working with actually gave up his time to, to volunteer. That was really, which gave him just a, a real, I suppose, you know, just gave him a, some motivation. Just, yeah. just seeing the change in him just for, from volunteering and he was able to help. Uh, it was quite good. So there was quite yeah. a lot of people, I think, can, got that boost from volunteering. Mm-hmm. But yeah, it was really inspiring, I think, just to see these community groups coming together, almost like just reacting just to, to what was going on. And they were really, they're just, I mean, like I said, they're still operating at the moment, which is, there's obviously still a need there. Yeah, definitely, definitely. Um, kind of on your last question, I think, there was always someone, see, even if like we didn't know the answer, which we don't always, but even if we didn't know where to go for support, there was so many other people that you could contact. Like there was kind of people locally, but there was also like our full team of colleagues, you know, so somebody would probably have dealt with that. Like, I think just knowing that there was those people to reach out to as well was really good. These were both um, saying um, earlier about the, the number of individuals you know that you were working with that were passed over on kind of shielding lists what was people's response to being classed as a shielding patient was there anyone that was a shock or were there people that expected to be on a shielding list and weren't what was kind of was the processes i think it was a mixture for me you know um every individual was there was a, there was a group of people that were relieved, relieved just the fact that they were put on that because they've got a condition. There were some people that I was contacting as well that weren't on the shielding list who wanted to be on the shielding list. They made have pre-existing heart conditions and things, and they thought that they should be on it, but they weren't. They weren't getting on it, um, which was given name like increasing the anxiety levels and things. Um, well, there was other people that were on the shielding list that they definitely didn't want to be. They felt it was restricting them, you know. Uh, and some people you to explain just you know the, the rules and. Um, that it was for their safety. Maybe they weren't understanding the actual letter that they'd been sent by the, the, the government, but also some people we were working with as well, which I found they hadn't even read the letter. Mm. You know, there was quite a lot of that. But yeah, it was a big mixture from my experience. Yeah, I would agree. And I think to kind of follow on to what Gary was saying about some people being quite relieved, I find that actually particularly with people that already had kind of poor mental health or anxiety. Um, I think they actually felt that being told to shield came as a relief to them. Um, like all of a sudden they didn't have any pressure to feel like they had to go out or kind of had to be part of society as such. But I think even for those people, as time went on, they found shielding more and more difficult. I, th- I think for a lot of people, I think kind of across the board, people kind of it was a really strange and new experience for everyone. So I think even like even us as links practitioners, I don't think saw this lasting as long as it has. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think initially for a lot of people, they didn't they didn't really know how to take being told that they had the shield. They didn't know what you know what the future held and what was going to happen off the back of it. 
since we've had um, subsequent lockdowns um, that we've been going in across Scotland, as you know, um, you, you kind of touched on it there, Lorna, about some people initially being relieved, but then that struggle with being in children for almost a year down the line. Um, how are people? Are you still linking in with a lot of the people you did at the beginning? Um, you know, what, what are people saying? How are they feeling? Yeah, I think, you know, the, our roles were quite fortunate in that respect that it's quite flexible and we're, we're not just time-based. It's not just five appointments or whatever it may be and then, eh, see you later. <laughs> it's what we can work with people just depending on the need to that individual. So it's more individualised, which is really good. So there is people that I have worked with that I may have just signposted to like an organisation, like referred on to like the food train or a befriending organisation. Um, but there may be other people that... You know, I, I've, I've phoned quite regularly. Um, so it, it really just it can vary between individual, but it's good to have that flexibility and give the support where it's where it's needed. Yeah, I would agree. I think for me, it was kind of the same as what Gary was saying. It's kind of, it was dependent on their situation. Um, so for some people, it was just initially checking in, making sure that everything was okay. Um, a lot of people did already have support in place, kind of from family or friends or neighbours. For others, it was maybe slightly longer term support. Um, and then for some people, kind of mainly people that were struggling with mental health and heightened levels of anxiety as well, or people that were maybe particularly socially isolated, um, it was kind of longer term support that was needed. Is there anything in particular that, um, with working with the children group over the last years, particularly stood out for you that you would like to share? Well, I guess I've mentioned some of the some of the the, the positives is is seeing families as well as communities coming together, and and kind of you know really looking out for the the community that they're in, and and us having that flexibility is has been in this role rather than being restricted. I think having that flexibility, having that flexibility to you know give the support where it's needed, is it really gives you job satisfaction as well rather than just um, you know, being restricted to a certain amount of appointments or whatever it may be, and just give that support where we feel it's needed, um, which is is hopefully have given a good relief to the the primary care team as well, um, so we can focus on a lot of the, the kind of social issues that people are having, and then they can deal just with the medical side of things. Yeah, I think um, in term, this is more so kind of in terms of services, but mm -hmm. I think services to a certain extent have obviously they've had to like a lot everywhere's had to change but I think some services have actually changed for the better in that they've got fewer referral criteria and um, so they've been more open to accepting people that they wouldn't kind of previously have accepted which has been good as well that's allowed us to be able to refer people that in the past we wouldn't have been able to do. I had a referral the other day just for someone who'd been a young lady had been had to shield uh, just the various health conditions that she had um, hadn't spoken to anybody in weeks and I think she was just at the at the boiling point you know she was really struggling uh, so I kind of helped just asking a few questions what, what, she, what she was struggling with and it was just she wasn't comfortable going on online groups and things like that her mental health was was quite low uh, her mood was quite low and she was quite anxious 
Um, and after speaking to a few different organisations that I thought might be useful, um, I kind of contacted her. What came that was a local a local community group. Um, someone in the community actually contacted her, uh, actually delivered a food parcel for her, is arranging now arranging a food delivery service for her so she doesn't have to, to leave the house. And they, they actually dropped off like uh, cooking utensils and she's she's joining a cooking group that's going to be starting this week, an online cooking group, which I thought was really... That's you know, brilliant. Uh, and on top of that, it was a befriending, befriending service as well, uh, well through Wellbeing Scotland. Uh, they were able to, they did say that, you know, if there was someone that was really struggling, you know, like if quite, you know, someone quite... Uh, or moods really that though, or whatever it may be, that they would look at that one and someone in crisis, if you like. So they've kind of pushed that up. So she's got someone uh, to speak to as well. You know, after speaking to no one for for weeks and end, I think she was just going from one room to the other. She wasn't really able to concentrate or anything. And just speaking to the other day there, um, the group, like I say, is this, this tomorrow, and she just she kind of was over the moon just by it. So and that's just a local group. It's adapted to you know the online cooking um, that's been one of the like great things as well the number of people that we've supported and like there are still people that are digitally excluded and are never going to engage in anything like that but the number of people that we're supporting now who i think would always have thought i could never go online i could never do a group online or a one-to-one online whatever that are now able to do that because there's been that support that kind of intense support put in place to do with digital uh, exclusion mm-hmm. that like that wouldn't have happened if, if the pandemic hadn't hit there wouldn't have been that kind of drive I don't think to get more and more people mm-hmm. um, like using laptops and tablets and all that kind of thing so I guess that's another benefit that's come out of it um, I know obviously a lot of us have linked in with the Connecting Scotland devices as well yeah and is there is there any um, anyone that you've worked with that you know in a year where the majority of things have all been closed um, and not a lot has been able to be undertaken? Is there anything um, amazing, if you like, happened? <laughs> so yeah, I mean um, there was there was one incident. There was a um, someone I was working with who she was getting a lot of a lot of investigations about her health and some of those appointments were cancelled which causing a great anguish and really really struggling so I, I had initially been working working with her just before lockdown so I actually kind of knew her quite well and we'd put in to get like a house move um we'd get an OT assessment done and things like that and she really needed a house move just where she was just wasn't suitable you know it's kind of dangerous where she was living uh, just with her mobility issues and things. Um, but when it came to when she was moving, um, <laughs> she, she had no way of getting, she had no money, no, no way of getting any support to get her goods moved to a new new place where she was moving to. Um, so there was a local, uh, one of the local community, I contacted a few different organisations that were unable to help. Eventually one of the local, uh, local community connector actually just off his own back um, was able to get family member and a local group, uh, Young People's Futures. He was able to get like some young volunteers just to come and help that uh, that lady move, which was, was really inspirational just to watch, you know, uh, p- 
people coming together just to help this one person. And and now since moving into this place, her life's changed dramatically. Do you know, she's um although she had a few incidences, but she's moved in, she's in a better location, she's getting much more support. Um and uh, we were able to get other kind of support put in place, like food getting delivered and things like that. But she was she, she was one of the shielding patients as well, which she wasn't sure what was happening with it. She was still leaving the house when she could, even though it was, one, it was dangerous for where she was with the stairs and mobility issues. And two, she high risk if she, you know, um, well, she was on the shielding list. So it was just good to get her moved and, and see the local community come together, rally around and kind of just help a vulnerable mem member of the community. Lauren, is there anything you would like to, to add? Kinda touched on it already, but I think just in general, how much communities really did pull together I think during the like the initial lockdown but kind of subsequent ones as well I think communities have always been close but I definitely feel there was just so much support from like everybody just wanted to help in any way they could if you know whether it be going and picking a prescription up dropping food in um, and I don't think those kind of small acts of kindness can be undervalued in those situations where again when somebody's maybe not spoken to or seen anyone for weeks and end just getting that kind of food parcel dropped in or getting whatever essential items that is kind of popped through their doors like i think that's been a huge thing for people you can find the alliance live podcast on all major podcast streaming services including spotify apple podcasts and more alliance live also produce webinars video interviews and case studies watch these by visiting www.alliance dash scotland.org.uk forward slash live to follow along regularly with alliance live content use the hashtag alliance live on twitter